So our last night, we're going to be looking again at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 for our text verse tonight, as we have all week. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The very first night, I gave you a formula for our spiritual hearts, and I've repeated it again and again. I hope your cell group leaders have repeated it for you. Maybe your sponsors and others have. The spiritual heart. We know about our physical heart, that muscle that pumps blood. This is our spiritual heart. And our spiritual heart is a place where our desires, what we want, come together with our emotions, how we feel, and our beliefs to determine what we do or don't do. It is a spiritual heart, then, that we're told to guard above all else because it is precious and it is in peril. We talked the first night about our desires and how our heart moves easily and rapidly to a desire for sin and for evil, and we saw how that works. We moved in the second night to our emotions and what a sorrowful heart will do to our spirit. The spirit is like the white corpuscles of the human body. It goes into action to fight off infection. Uh, The spirit of a man we saw will sustain his infirmities, but a wounded spirit. Who can bear it? Let your spirit get wounded. There's nothing to fall back on when trouble comes. Last night we saw the incredible power of the Word of God. How our beliefs matter. How the world is doing its best to get its truth, its ideas, its concept of what's true. And get that into our hearts so it pushes us away from God and from God's truth. But that same pressure that you're being subjected to, if you don't let it in your heart, instead of pushing you away from God in this truth, it can drive you to God. So that then you're on your knees before God saying, God, I need help. I don't understand all this. I can't explain all this. But God, I know you and I love you. And I know you love me. And when it drives us then to God, it keeps us away from the potential of doing things that we might want to do that we shouldn't do feeling things that are dangerous. Each night we've had a math problem to consider, and tonight we're down to only one problem. I gave you only two last night. Uh, Tonight we only get one, so let's bring that up. I'm going to give you a hint. It is not 24-7. Come on. The answer to the problem is one. And I had this drawn up by a math teacher. Thank you very much. Confirmed by a math professor. When you raise anything to the zero power out there on the end, no matter what else comes before that, if you raise it to the zero power, the answer is one. Incredibly complicated question. Very simple answer by the addition of one thing. Oh, students, y'all have a lot of complicated issues in your world that there is a very simple answer. You learned it in Bible school. One door and only one. And yet its sides are two. Maybe you didn't learn it in that Bible school. 
Inside or outside, on which side are you one? One door and only one. You see, if you, if you miss that question, it doesn't really matter what else you get right in life. If you miss that one, if you miss Jesus, you, you miss it all. That's the, the one question, the one issue that we have to get right. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now consider this question tonight for our last question and all the implications that has for our spiritual heart and we'll see it as we go along. We'll have to go back to where we started and that's the very first time that the heart is mentioned in the Bible. Remember this, Genesis 6 and 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. First time the heart is mentioned and it is full of evil. We didn't discuss it in the first night, but I'll tell you now, and you know that God responded to that with a catastrophic judgment on humanity known as the flood. But we had this great passage in Genesis 6 and 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? <laughs> Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Would you be surprised to know this is the first time the word grace is found in the Bible? Of course you wouldn't. It's in the book of Genesis, of course. I mean, Genesis is full of a lot of things that we see for the first time. It's just interesting to me that the first time the heart is mentioned in the Bible, it's full of sin. And just right after that, here we have a message of God's grace. We've got a great God, students. A great God. Now let's pick up another passage. In between all this has been the flood. Noah and his family have been saved by the ark through the water. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. God would go on to establish the Noah, Noahic covenant, we call it. Noah's covenant. And what was the sign of Noah's covenant? Who can tell me right quick? Rainbow. We've come a long way in our world, hadn't we? Isn't it amazing that the world has done with the rainbow something precious that God gave us so long ago? So God made a promise, and the promise was that he would never again destroy the earth by the flood. But it's interesting that after all of that judgment, when God looks at the heart, the heart of humanity is left unchanged. The imaginations of man's heart is evil from his youth. All of that judgment and man's heart were still full of sin. Isn't that interesting? You know, Jesus called up this very time, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. Which means to us tonight that, uh, you know, Jesus looked at the hearts of humanity and says, you know, that's the way it's going to be right up into the end. The imagination of men's heart will be full of evil. 
You'd think with all of our technology that we could have improved the human heart a little bit. Don't you think after all these years, all of our education, all of our knowledge, everything we've got? Do you know what our technology takes our imagination? We're talking about, do you see that? God said the imagination of man's heart is on evil continually. You see, all of our technology has taken our imagination to a whole different level. I graduated high school and finished a bachelor's degree in seminary without a computer or the internet. (gasps) (gasps) I've got computers. I'm preaching off of one. Computers and the internet give us quicker access to information, but it gets you unprecedented access to lies, deception, and pure, unmitigated evil. That means the capacity of your imagination has been raised to like the 10 millionth power because you've not only got your imagination now that you're doing, but now you can get online and you can pull up everybody else's imagination and all the evil that everybody else can think of. And when you start, you know, you know, students, just how evil and how depraved this is. We wonder why there's such eruptions of violence in our land today and even around the world. Why does it happen? Why are there school shooters all of a sudden? Why are all these things happening? They didn't happen when I was growing up. Why now? Because the imagination of man's heart toward evil is like to the 10 millionth power. And you've got access to all of it. Now, your parents have probably got some kind of internet blocker on your phone, and we all know how good that does, don't we? <laughs> how much good it does. Uh, I'm talking to the students here tonight. You know, uh, I, I've, uh, I've been around schools enough, and I've been around on the other side of things enough to know that uh, most of those content blockers don't work real well. There's only one content blocker that really works real good, and parents, I hope you're using it. And that is just uh, don't let your kids have access to the internet in private. Just don't. You don't, you don't need it. Do you study in somewhere else? But I, I tell you, come nighttime when it's time to go to bed, take them phones and put them in there on a charger beside mom and dad's bed and leave them there till the next morning. There's a lot. You have unprecedented access, not just to what your imagination can come up with, But now what everybody else can think of, too. It's not all necessarily bad. I know that. But the potential for deception has been multiplied unbelievably. Long ago, God told us that the imagination of our heart would be a problem. Right up until his work of of redemption is concluded, humanity will have this problem right up until the very end. So what do we need? Well, God had a great answer to Israel long ago through the prophet Ezekiel that we've seen several times this week. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, God said, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God speaks of three things that he would do in this passage for us. What a great promise it is. I'll give you a new heart. 
First thing God says that he'll do to accomplish that is that he'll take out the stony heart and give us a new heart that is alive. The psalmist said in Psalm 95 and verse 7, For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That passage is repeated three times, quoted three times in the New Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Put that in your mind for a minute, students. Hang on to it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why is that so critical? Because that hard, stony heart is a heart full, heart full of rebellion and rejection against God. You might not think of rebellion in a bad light, but God does. He showed that to the prophet Samuel long ago with a king named Saul who was coming back from a time when he didn't do what God told him to do. And Samuel said rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion, stubbornness, witchcraft, iniquity, and idolatry. Think about that, students. Rebellion is highly addictive. Witchcraft and the sorcerers of the New Testament, as they were called, they were infested with potions, very powerful. We know now that they were able, uh, well-known, knew a lot about the opioids and many other things. And we know that those potions were highly, highly addictive. We know that idolatry was infested with demons. So when you're fooling around, folks, with some of those idolatrous symbols, and you think, oh, it's just funny. No, it's not funny. Idolatry has always been and always will be infested with the demonic. There's darkness there. There's demonic truth there. And the ideas there, the truth of demons and all of their lies, everything they're doing. And it's highly, highly addictive. It puts it together with all these potions and things. You ever been around meth? You know, meth is the devil. The devil's in it. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It all ties in together. Rebelliousness, our rejection of God, stubbornness, and to keep going further and further and further. Does the Bible talk about that? Sure it does. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. That is, all things are not good for me. All things are lawful of me, but I will not be brought under the power of any things. There are many things out there that can bring you under their power. Idolatry, of course, is one of them. The Bible warns us about it all over the New Testament. Why did it do that? Because it's nothing? No. You say, well, an idol is just a chunk of rock. Yeah. But Paul said the things that Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Demons infest idolatry. I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. What's the God of this world doing? He is working to blind the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. So our passage tonight says that God will take away that hardened, rebellious, stubborn heart that's turned away from Him and has turned into a heart of stone. And He said, I will give you a living heart of flesh. So that the heart of flesh in Ezekiel 36 is contrasted then with the heart of stone. We divide matter into two categories. There is animate matter and inanimate matter. It's always been that way. It still is. Animate means that it has life. Inanimate 
means that it is lifeless. That which is animate can become inanimate. As for example, what happens to wood when it petrifies and becomes petrified wood? You have something that was once alive, now it's a rock. Once it was animate, now it is inanimate. But it never goes the other way. That which is inanimate never, ever, 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 ever. A million more evers, a billion more evers. Give it a million years, billion years, ten billion years, a hundred billion million years. Sorry. That which is inanimate never becomes animate. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's just sidelined tonight. I'll just say that. I don't know who, what. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I'd have to believe in something that is scientifically impossible. And that is for an inanimate object to somehow animate itself and become alive. Science has to this day no credible explanation for the existence of life. Isn't it interesting that John chapter 1 tells us about Jesus? In him was life. And the life is the light of men. What a simple thing. You want to understand things? Start there. Do <laughs> you remember me telling you tonight, by the way, that Jesus is a simple answer to a whole lot of really complex questions? Say, I don't understand all that stuff about creation. You know I don't understand it all either. I've been studying it all my life, it seems like, and I still don't understand it all. But I can understand what John said about it in John chapter 1 and verse 1. I don't have this on the PowerPoint tonight. It's just a little extra I'm throwing out for you. Sorry, I'll get back to that in a minute. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. One Word was with God and the Word was God. That word, of course, is Jesus Christ. All things were made by him. That's point number one. Point number two, without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing made itself. Isn't that two simple things? Tell you everything you need to know about creation right there in two verses. Number one, Jesus made it all. Number two, nothing made itself. Ta-da! You may be in this service tonight and all week long your heart has been as hard as a rock. Your heart is a hard stone. And I look in your eyes and I see just a dead couple of eyes looking back at me. Hoping I'd shut up. Worship has meant nothing to you. You like the basketball. Like the good weather. Bonfire was nice. Your heart's been dead all week long. I want you to see a couple of passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and 4, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Say, Brother Rich, why don't I understand any of this? Why don't I get any of this? I sit around my friends and they seem to be enjoying it, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Why is my heart so dead to all of this? Because you are dead to God. You are very much alive. Your physical heart is pumping and beating, but your spiritual heart is hard as a rock, dead. Dead to the things of God. That's what it said. Isn't that what it said? You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're not alive to the things of God. 
I wish I could change that. I wish I had enough power in my personality and ability that somehow or another I could talk you into it and I could change it and I could make it to where everything I'm saying would somehow make sense to you and would appeal to you. But I don't have that power. But I know the one who does. I can't do it, but he can. And the great, great truth is that uh, the passage, for by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing, because salvation is not spelled D-O, it is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Jesus Christ has paid it all. What do you do? Believe on Him. Well, I need to see it first. Listen, in the spiritual realm, it might be okay in the physical realm to say seeing's believing, but in the spiritual realm, it's just the other way around. You'll never see it until you believe it. And you'll never believe it on your own. Paul told him in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, the Philippian jailer, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Is it just that simple? Yes. Yes, it is. It's important for me to tell you tonight that salvation is is an event. It's not a process. Jesus said you must be born again. Is there anybody in this service tonight who was never born? It's a dumb question. But if I were to ask you if there's anybody in this service tonight that's never been born again, some of you would have to say, yes, I have never been born again. You see, both of those two things are a specific event. Now, you don't remember the first one. I'll grant you that. Your mama does. But you don't. But it was a specific event, and you celebrate it every year. We've celebrated several of them this year. The new birth, the spiritual birth, is the same. It is an event. It is a specific thing that happens At a specific time, Jesus said it, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. But Brother Rich, if my heart is hard as a rock, dead to the things of God, how can this happen? I'm so glad you asked that question. John 5, 24. Jesus gave us one of the most clear, concise, specific statements of the gospel in John 5, 24 that you'll find in the whole New Testament. If you ever want to win somebody to Jesus Christ or share the gospel with somebody, this is a great place to take them. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus confirmed it with an oath. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. What did Jesus say? The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. A lot of people in the world making a lot of hay out of this idea. Well, you know, dead people can't hear, dead people can't see. If a dead, you know, what can a dead person do? Well, a dead person can't hear. Yeah, but Jesus said, (laughs) they'll hear this voice. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear will live. Our hearts may be dead and they may be dead to the things of God, but there will come a time then when we hear 
And we hear not with the ears of our head, but we hear with the ears of our spiritual heart. That's where we hear it. And we hear it at heart, dead though it is, is under the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That incredible power that Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What incredible power there is in the gospel so that when we hear it, and we read it, and that is energized by the Spirit of God, yes, it can penetrate that hard heart, and we feel it. You remember what I told you? That passage that's been quoted for us three times in the New Testament. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. It's a dangerous thing to say no. Dangerous thing to harden your heart. It's addictive. Every time you harden it, it gets harder. It gets easier and easier. It may get to where you never feel that anymore. You've had a hard heart all week. You have. Some of you. You've been hearing the truth of the gospel night after night after night and hearing about Jesus and hearing about your heart. Now we remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How then can they believe on him who have they not heard? You have heard. And if the spirit of God is putting that into your heart tonight. I've prayed for you all day. That you'd respond. Respond by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who lived and died and rose again and says, if you believe on me, you will have everlasting life and will not come into condemnation because you are passed from death unto life. God said it. I'll take that stony heart away from you and give you a heart that's alive. That's what the gospel does for us. That's what it means to be born again. Have you had that experience? Have you had that event? Can you go back to it in your mind and heart when you called on the Lord, when you expressed your belief to Him in the truth of the gospel and trusted what He did on Calvary to save your soul? Did you do it while you felt that unmistakable feeling of conviction in your heart because Jesus said it, no man can come unto me except the Father should draw him? Have you felt that? Have you felt that conviction? Have you felt that power of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit of God? Drive it into your heart. Felt it. I'd encourage you, don't even wait to the invitation. You pray and you ask Jesus to save you right now. Right now. If you don't know how, go get your youth pastor. He'll be glad to tell you. I'll give you a free pass. I'll preach the rest of the sermon to you after a while. Have you had this experience? Where God removes that stony heart and all of a sudden you're alive to Him. i got to hurry. Because there's more. Not only did God say, I'll take that stony heart and give you a new heart. But He also says, I'll give you a new spirit. I'll put a new spirit within you. 
I will put my spirit, Ezekiel 36, 26, within you. Paul would write plainly about this in Romans chapter 8. He said, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You see, when we are saved then, this new covenant promise is, is, is true in all of our lives because the Holy Spirit now takes, residence, uh, uh, takes up residence in our life. And what that does is then it gives life. It quickens our mortal bodies. We've talked a little bit about the old man this week and this old flesh that we all are burdened down with. I'll tell you tonight, you know, I've been preaching to my old man for over 50 years and he still don't like my preaching a bit. you'd, You'd think he'd get a little bit better. He doesn't. I'd kill the thing off if I could and survive, but I can't. But I'll tell you what we can do. When we're saved... The mighty Spirit of God takes up residence, so while the flesh is still operational and it still opposes the things of God, now there's a greater power at work. God gives us a great illustration of this. Every time we go down to the airport and watch an airplane take off, God gives us a great illustration of how this works. Because you see, we know about the law of gravity, and the law of gravity says what? What goes up must come down. What goes up? must come down. So when that airplane takes off and goes soaring up through the sky, does it defy the law of gravity? No, no, no. There's another law that goes into effect, the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics tells us that with the proper wingspan and the proper lift and and overcoming the resistance of the air and and enough thrust, then it can go. And so you've got all the laws of aerodynamics. And as long as the laws of aerodynamics are followed, then that plane can go up in the air and not come down. I'm going to show you a great passage. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, that law of sin and death still works in your members. But there's a greater law, and that is the law of the Spirit of life that lives in you and lives in me. And that means as a believer in Christ, we never have to say, well, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) There was a greater power. You just didn't avail yourself of it. Ezekiel promised us then a new heart and a new spirit. And there's one more thing he promised us, a new walk. Ezekiel 36, 27, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Galatians 5, 16, Paul said, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Students, this is a great thing for you to learn about your Christian life. It's all about walking and walking is a step. Step, 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 step. If I wasn't 63 years old, I'd do a plop, plop. That's what you did when you learned to walk. Step, step, plop. Step, step, plop. We got enough babies around here, we could probably get an illustration if we would just let it. Step, step, plop. Okay, in the Christian life, folk, in our life, we never really get past that. We got a whole lot of steps that we take and a whole lot of plops. You know what a plop is? Walk, step, step, plop. What do you do? Get up, walk, step, step, plop. You get up, walk, walk in the spirit. Walk 
in the Spirit. Walk in my statutes. God says, and I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. I'll give you a new walk. We talked this week about Solomon, and about Daniel, and about Joseph. I want to share with you real quickly another story from the Old Testament, the story of a man named Jacob. Don't have time to tell you all the story tonight about Jacob. I'll just tell you the story of Jacob is covered in several chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, he had a brother named Esau. He tricked him out of the birthright. Ended up having to go to Uncle Laban's house. Ended up married to the wrong woman. Um, I mean, it's a great story. He ends up coming back, and he's going back. And his brother Esau, last time he met with Esau, Esau said, when Daddy dies, I'm going to kill you. So he's going back home now, and he gets the word that Esau is coming. Jacob prays all night. He, he prays for a long time, maybe not all night. He prayed for a long time. And all of a sudden, while he's praying then, uh, somebody jumps out on him and, and takes him down, wrestles with him. When I read that passage in Genesis 32, I always think the same thing. And that is, you know, if I was Jacob and I'm sitting there worried about my brother Esau and somebody jumps on me and starts fighting me, I'm figuring it's Esau or some of his henchmen. But it wasn't. He fought all night. And the Bible tells us very plainly who he was fighting with. He was fighting with God. He was fighting with the Lord. It's what he would go away saying that day. You know, I've seen the Lord face to face and I, I, I'm still alive. It's amazing. Fought him all night. No doubt, when he started the fight, Jacob was trying to get away. Just wrestled, just trying to get away. But somewhere in the night, the battle changed. Somehow, Jacob figured out, and before the battle was over, he's fighting to hang on. And so, the angel, the Jehovah angel, says to him, the angel of the Lord says to him, uh, let me go. And Jacob says, I won't until you bless me. <laughs> so, the angel had a quick solution for that. What did he do? He popped him in the hip. And he blessed him, changed his name, changed him into a prince of God, man with power with God and with men who prevailed. He wasn't the trickster anymore, changed him. So here's old Jacob. He gets up. <laughs> and you see him. Sun's coming up. He's fought all night, all night. Can you imagine? All night. His clothes are torn. He's all scratched up. Muddy, bloody, and he's, he's limping, man. He can't hardly even walk. He's limping. He's on his, picks up a stick somewhere, and he carry that stick with him for the rest of his life. He, the Bible tells us the children of Israel to this day won't eat of that part of any animal in commemoration of where Joseph, uh, Jacob was struck in the hip. I think they're trying to borrow a little bit from his experience. Didn't work. Here's old Jacob. Man, that guy's been in a fight. Look at him. All beat up to old Jacob. What happened to you? He got a smile on his face. I met the Lord last night. I fought him all night. 
And he broke me. He broke me so he could bless me. And you know what? I've got a whole new walk. I'll never walk the same way again. For the rest of my life, I'll remember how God broke me so he could bless me. Over time, most of us get to where we can cover up our limps pretty good, but I'm going to tell you something, students, tonight. A spirit-filled man of God is not a person who's never had any problems and just sailed through life. No. This new life that we get brings us to that time where we are broken. We're born again, blessed. Children of God with a new walk. We're walking in the Spirit. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That was a stake. We're real good at covering up our thorns and covering up our limbs. But if you're saved tonight, there was a time in your life when God broke you so He could bless you. And if you're saved tonight, it may very well be that there's been a time since then that God broke you so He could bless you. And you'll never walk the same way anymore. This new life in Jesus Christ is a bunch of broken, blessed, born-again sinners who are going to limp their way to glory and give all the praise and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I could have never done this on my own. You see, we, we have this crazy idea we get somewhere along the line, we pick it up. Well, I can get saved any time that I want to, but the problem is your dead, stony heart ain't never going to want to get saved. How do I know that? I didn't make that up. The Bible says that there is none that seeketh after God. And if you're even thinking about it, considering it, well, I'm thinking, I, I, I can kind of see it. I kind of feel like, listen, you're not getting that on your own. Maybe the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ is beating on you like a sledgehammer tonight. And you can harden your heart to it and I can't stop you. But if while the Spirit of God is convicting you, you'll call on the name of the Lord and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, something incredible is going to happen to you. You're going to get a new heart. Maybe you've been walking the paths of sin too long. You've departed from the Lord. I'm going to ask Jason, our band, to come up at this time and get ready and start our invitation. I've got a passage I'm going to read for you tonight. It's a rather lengthy passage. I put it up here. If you wonder, Brother Rich, why do you put so many Bible verses in your sermons? I do it because I have a fundamental conviction. If all I've got is what I think, I've got nothing. But if I can take things and see them then and show them to you in the Word of God, then that's powerful and it's authoritative and the Spirit's going to use it. So I put a lot of scriptures up here. I do. I believe in it. It's Jeremiah chapter 17, great passage. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Did you see that, students? 
Cursed is a man whose heart departs from the Lord, who trusts in other people, who trusts in himself, makes the flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He'll be like a shrub in the desert. What a beautiful picture that is. You ever notice how slowly things grow in a desert environment? He shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and assault land which is not inhabited. That's the man who departs from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green. And be not anxious in the year drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. Y'all have been waiting for me to quote this passage all week. And we quoted it and quoted it and quoted it and quoted it, but we've just very seldom ever looked at its context. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah, you see, put a simple choice. Before God's people centuries ago, and he reaches across time now in the power of the Spirit of God to put the same test, the same choice in front of you. You can trust in men. You can trust in man's science and man's ideas and man's power and man's beliefs. You can put your heart in those things and turn away from God and run from him, but you are going to walk a rebellious path under the curse of God with a hard rock heart. With a barren life and face the judgment of God at the end. Or, you can be that blessed man like a tree planted by the waters because he trusts in the Lord and his hope is in the Lord. Brother Rich, how can I know? How can I know? Which side of that am I on? Will my heart tell me the truth? No, <laughs> Jeremiah told you a long time ago. Uh, the heart's deceitful. The heart's a deceiver. Your heart can be hard as a rock, and it's telling you, no, 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 I'm very pliable and blind. Just think about how many people you're compassionate toward. Oh, no, that's not you. Heart's a liar. In fact, if you look in the Hebrew, and you can't, but I'll tell you, the word for deceitful in Jeremiah, in verse 9 in this passage, Jeremiah 17, 9, the word for deceitful, it's a Hebrew word, Jacob. The hearts of Jacob, above all things. It's a deceiver. It's a heel grabber. <laughs> it's a con man. It'll fool you. So who'll tell me the truth? The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? God gives you the answer. I, the Lord. <laughs> I'll show you what your heart really is. I'll do it. You can't do it on your own. I search the heart. I test the mind. That's why Simon Peter told us, make your calling and election sure. John wrote his whole first epistle so that we might know that you have eternal life.
ask you a simple question tonight. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus said you must be born again. You've been born once. You don't remember that. Have you been born again? If you've been born again, you remember that. You were there. You're the one who did the believing. Nobody could do it for you. Have you experienced the new birth? If you have, maybe you've got back on the wrong track. Maybe tonight God's not talking to you about your need for a new birth. Maybe God is talking to you about a need for a new start on your walk. You've plopped so many times, you've stopped getting up. But I want you to know tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ will come and help you up one more time. And another, and another, and another, and another. Because He wants to help you walk. The Spirit within you tonight is telling you it's time. This is your moment. Let's stand together, please.